Rumcasters, and welcome back for another episode of the Rumcast. I am John Gulla, he is Will Hookinga, and you are you, and together we are the podcast that talks all things rum-related with the people who shape it. We're very excited to get to today's interview with Jen Aiken from Rumba Bar in Seattle, but first, as always, Will, what's up with you lately? Hey, John. You know, I'm sitting here having done something recently that I never thought I was going to do as a rum drinker. Ooh. Can oh, you what guess is... what it is? Um, drink spiced rum. Drink flavored <laughs> rum. No, no, that's no. not it. I'm actually, I'm, I'm doing a live stream soon about flavored rum, actually. I'm glad. Ah. That, you know, I, won't, I won't get into that now, but uh, maybe, maybe we can revisit that on a future show. <laughs> okay. Anyway, what I started doing is... I started taking notes while I drink rum. Oh, wait, 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 hold on. Wait a second. So the person who told me that they wouldn't do this is now... Wait, when did I say I wouldn't I, ever like, take notes while... I think I've maybe said score or okay. rate. That That's fair. Which maybe, I have continued yeah. to not do, even well, though... Oh, really? Well, so, so I, I, went a deg- I went a step far because he- he- here's the deal. Here, first of all, here's why I started doing this in the first place. On our last episode, we talked to Lance from theloancaner.com, who does a great job reviewing rums, providing detailed notes, and just really taking you inside his experience of drinking a rum and what he thinks mm-hmm. about it. And he, it's not, it's not that I want to start writing reviews or anything like that, but Lance said something during the interview that stuck with me, which was. If you like something, you should be able to tell people why you like it. And I'm yep. paraphrasing a little bit there, but it was something to that effect. And I've I've struggled a lot of times to really go into detail about maybe, you know, specific aspects of a rum that I enjoy or differentiating mm-hmm. it from another one and that sort of thing. And, you know, it's, it's not like I can't say anything about it, but it's just something that I'm always like, I wish I was better at finding the right words. And so I right. see this as something that will help me improve at that and just being able, especially over multiple tastings, being able to come back to something like see what I wrote about it last time and seeing, you know, what I still pick up, what's changed, what's different, that kind of thing. But I knew if I just pulled up my notes app on my phone or something like that and just told myself, I'm going to start, you know, taking notes when I, when I drink rum, I knew that would never stick. So what I did was I went on Amazon and I just searched like rum tasting book or rum notebook or something like that and there are a bunch of different results that came up i got this little i'll hold it up so you can see it it's a little soft cover about 100 pages or so and each page has kind of a a template with different things you can fill out about the rum it's got the flavor wheel yeah yeah it's got a flavor wheel it's Mm -hmm. got you know flavor notes it's got nosing notes or scent notes Mm -hmm. it's got you know you write down the proof and things like that and then yeah the flavor wheel you're noting stuff like you know dark fruit Mm -hmm. citrus fruit spices uh, molasses roasted woody stuff like that and I knew just having some sort of template to fill out would make it easier for me because I right. see it's like, okay, I'm going to do this box, I'm going to do this right. box, and so on and so forth. You're and not I just have starting to say, from scratch, yeah. 
part of the reason why I never wanted to do this initially was because for me, rum is something to, to I just want to sit back and enjoy it and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And, yeah. and certainly I'll sit there and contemplate it and think about it, you know, especially if I'm having something that's a little more complex, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something that I've really been looking forward to trying something that's intriguing, interesting, different. I'll sit there and think about it. It's not like I just want to turn my brain off, but the idea of kind of sitting down with a notebook or something and writing and, and that sort of thing always kind of, I felt like it would be work in a way. Yeah. Laborious. Yeah, yeah, laborious. That's a good word yeah. for it. But I have to say, I've done this with with three different rums now since I started, and I've really enjoyed it each time, especially, actually, the, the NBA playoffs are over now. But one thing that I was finding really enjoyable was just to kind of like do this with, with the playoffs on in the background. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of look up, take in the action, they call a timeout or something. I'd kind of go back to my, my Glen Karen, you know, take, take mm-hmm. nose it a little bit more, yeah. write down a few more things. It was a really great uh, just kind of, you know, pairing. Uh, rum and basketball. I enjoyed it. So anyway, I, I've got to say, like, I've really found this enjoyable. And I do think it's going to be something that helps me out. in you know, what I was mentioning, wanting to improve that, which is just yeah. being able to articulate why I like something, what stands out to me about something and that kind of thing. It's, it sounds to me like you have moved it into a different mental space in a way. Hmm. So from the the previous like, oh, but this would be kind of a, 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 let me sit down with it. Let me be really serious about what I'm feeling and what I'm tasting yeah. and try Stroke to capture my non-existent that. beard. <laughs> right. It seems more like now you're just relaxing with it. And you're saying, look, I want to pull more out of this, but you're doing it in a way that doesn't feel like it's has to be so serious. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's a, that's a good way. Yeah. To go back to what you, you know, you bringing up something I said I would never do, which I'm sure was probably scoring a rating. You'll notice that there is a quality rating column mm. on this that is not mm-hmm. filled out for anything. So, okay. I so. do think, I, 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 I'm not saying like rum should never be scored or whatever. It's just, it's, it's not why I'm doing it. I'm not doing this, you know, in order to publish things. I'm just, right. you know, I'm trying to track my own, what I get out of stuff. So. Yeah. So do you think you'll be able to go back to this and be able to tell whether you liked a rum or not or some degree of whether you enjoyed it I without so, having the rating on there? Yeah. Because I I have I've made, you know, little comments and things like that. So the three that I've rated are not they're they were all rums that I think are good. So mm-hmm. but I think mm-hmm. if I come across one I don't enjoy, I will probably write down like, you know, this is not my, enjoy. It, yeah, didn't enjoy, <laughs> like here's why, here's what I wish, you know, was a little different okay, okay. about it or something like that. So just again, Again, just like a note for myself. Yeah, I don't know. I just struggle with the number stuff, man. That feel that still feels like work to me. I, I, hmm. I don't need to do that. Or arbitrary sometimes. I mean, it, it depends on the person. I think for yeah. me, it would, I don't know, it would feel a little arbitrary. Okay. So, well, yeah. we'll, we'll revisit that in uh, six months or a year, Will, and see yeah. if you're still in the same position and if you're uh, still resisting the temptation of ratings and right. numbers. We'll see where the habit, the state of the habit at that point and if I've managed to keep it up. But until then... What's been new with you? Well, you mentioned being maybe taking it a little less serious, or I I mentioned that that Mm -hmm. that's kind of the direction. Well, Mm -hmm. I will take you one step further into less seriousness with my my comment for for this episode, which was I have probably the most embarrassing rum story ever. Okay, ever? Uh, Well, for you personally or for 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 the world? For, no, for me personally, okay. that would be tough for me to, <laughs> okay. to know. But my hope is that I'm not the only person in the world that this happened to. That's that's my hope, because if not, uh, wow, 
So here, here's the thing. You know, uh, obviously, listeners know uh, I live in Miami, so mm-hmm. there's a, a heavy Spanish-speaking influence here Yes, uh, from various countries. And uh, so when you go into rum shops here in Miami, mm-hmm. you're seeing quite a bit of the Spanish style or however we want to say Latin American-influenced yeah. uh, rums mm-hmm. here on the shelf. Well... I haven't told this story on the podcast because it was so embarrassing before, but I figured, you know what? I'm going to man up and I'm going to do it now, and I'm going to tell this story. Well, when I bring was it first, out in front of gonna, millions of people yes. the first time. Oh, you yes, tell the it, millions so. of our listeners. Exactly. So when I first started getting into rum from coming from bourbon, mm-hmm. uh, I would go to a shop and I would just stare at all the bottles because yeah. I was trying to learn and figure things out. Well. It occurred to me as I'm looking at the shelf and I'm looking across, I'm seeing Ron Barcelo, I'm seeing Ron Abuelo, Ron Cartavio, mm-hmm. and all these other ones. And my first thought is, man, that's this guy, a lot Ron, of- makes a lot of yes! rum. <laughs> this, uh, yes. My first thought was like, man, how much of a coincidence is that, that they're all named Ron? That that's amazing. <laughs> And I mean, look, that thought only lasted for like a little uh-huh. a fraction of an instant before I kind of figured it out. But like the fact that I had it in the first place kind of is embarrassing. Well, um, I mean, I, I think even though you're you're in an area where Spanish speaking is so prevalent, I don't know that that's that's still like that's not one of the vocabulary uh, words you you learn in Spanish class growing up as a kid. For sure, so, that's a know. good point. Thank you, thank yeah. you for that and for it's defending like me. Well, I appreciate cat that. Or house, or you know, I'm I'm picturing like the little <laughs> Spanish books we had in school. You know, where it's like yeah. showing a kitchen setting and it has all the little vocabulary words and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Like and, like rum wasn't in there. <laughs> no, it was not. Thank you. Uh, and I do know a fair amount of Spanish words. I'm not very good at speaking Spanish. I'm much better at understanding it. Right. Right. But yeah, it's so this word, like you said, Ron, it's never come up before. And, you know, never really been in my lexicon, generally speaking, like Mm -hmm. I've only known rum. Mm -hmm. And heck, at that time, I didn't even know rum with an H, right? right? So I I just uh, had no idea. So I'm looking across the shelf and and that was my first thought and my most embarrassing rum thought ever. So there you go. It's now public information and people can laugh at me. And uh, this is what it's all about, though, you know, showing (laughs) that it's it's you're, you're going to think something stupid at some point or, or, you know, have some sort of embarrassing moment where you demonstrate your lack of knowledge when you're coming into something new for the first time and trying to learn, you yes. know? So yes. you, you get up, you dust yourself off, you share your embarrassing moment on a podcast so everyone can hear about it <laughs> and you just move on with your life. But right. I like that you're, you're bringing back a story that is years old now at this point. Well, it came up partly because with our conversation with Jen, We Mm -hmm. do talk about the spectrum of rum across the board and how you have people that are completely green with rum. You know, they don't know anything about it. And then all the way to the the very rum geeks or rum Mm -hmm. nerds like us now. So, you know, that that's what got me thinking about it was that, yeah, I I was a a rum noob uh, at some point and didn't even know... (laughs) that you know spanish was wrong so right. that's that's where it came from and and it really is a great interview i'm excited to, to share it with people today and jen is a, a wonderful person to talk to and so well educated with rum and being behind the bar and so there was a lot of good stuff uh, i thought from the interview that i think will be fun to share with people yeah definitely i think some of the things that i appreciated about it is just getting that perspective because it's cool because she has a variety of ways of looking at rum you know obviously she's someone who loves rum she's also someone who is managing a bar program at a bar that is focused completely on rum and really has a reputation as probably one of the best rum bars in the world 
And so she, you know, we talked through a lot of the ins and outs of, of what it what it takes to put a program like that together, to manage it, to the the, the tough choices you have to make in terms of products you're mm-hmm. gonna carry and things like that. And we also talk a little bit about the 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 new bar next door inside passage. It was cool to get some of the details about the opening of that. And yes. um, yeah, so I won't spoil too much of it, but if you like rum and uh, you like hearing from interesting people in rum, I think you're gonna enjoy this. If you're listening to our show right now, there are six words about rum that are likely to catch your eye. Single barrel, cask strength, and no additives. Those six words are the whole premise of the single cask rum releases from Holmes Key, the sponsor for this episode of the Rumcast. Holmes Key seeks out the world's best rums and releases them unadulterated and at cask strength in limited editions. Check out their website at homeskey.com to learn more about their new 2021 releases, distilled at places like Foursquare in Barbados, Demerara Distillers in Guyana, Travelers Liquors in Belize, and Clarendon Distillery in Jamaica. Also, you'll definitely want to stay tuned for more exciting 2021 releases coming up soon. You can find out more at homeskey, that's H-O-L-M-E-S-C-A-Y.com. Now back to the show. All right, so we are here with Jen Aiken, general manager of Rumba in Seattle, which I'm we you know we plan to spend a good deal of time discussing Rumba during the interview, but w- before we get into that, I know you're actually sitting in another bar right now that is connected to, or I believe you said right next to Rumba, uh, a new bar called Inside Passage that you're only a few weeks removed of opening right now. And I was actually, I just saw the Seattle Times referred to it as the hottest ticket in town, which is a direct quote from the Seattle Times. Uh, so so what is what is just like the, what was the opening experience been like and how are you feeling now being on the other side of that? Because I know that there's always a massive amount of work that goes into something like that. Yeah, opening was crazy. So I've, I mean, I've opened bars before, um, not a lot, but a, a few. And there's always, you know, trials and tribulations and things that go wrong and things that go really right. And, you know, that's why you do soft openings and host your friends and family and things like that. And we did that and that was super helpful, but it went far smoother than I thought it would go. Everything that we do here is really, really over the top. Um, as far as like the drinks go, they're like really creative um, very themed, themed with like, purpose. John and I were looking at the website before this, and I was like, "You have to check out." And like, I paused before yeah. I described the, the. I didn't have a better word other than like, I was like, "You have to see these vessels that the drinks come in," because I couldn't just yeah. call them like mugs or glasses or anything like that. They're like, right. they're like pieces of art, basically. It's pretty it's impressive. impressive. Yeah, they are. They are. They are definitely that. And like a few of them, I've actually either made myself by hand or altered slightly. You made some of those? Yeah. So for instance, the Amazon bee that comes in like a, an Amazon box, Mm -hmm. um, it's not made of cardboard because obviously cardboard's going to get wet. It's going to get broken down over time. So I actually, with my partner built them out of pine and then, Mm. yeah, assembled them, wood puttied them to make them look as much like a cardboard box as possible, spray painted them, clear coated them. And then our graphic designer who actually used to be a bartender here, his name is Toshi. Uh, he designed the Amazon prime tape, 
and the shipping logo and then the Amazon logo on the side with the blood dripping off the arrow. Um, <laughs> and everything about that is like, if you look really closely, there's all these really, I don't want to say what it is because I like for people to experience it, but there's not any sort of element on that box. that's like that we didn't think about. So the shipping label, every, every little piece of design detail on the tape. Um, so we did that. And then the, I believe, which is our Bigfoot cocktail, I actually altered those boxes, put the trees there, put the picture of Sasquatch behind there. And the drink itself is like in what looks like a camera camera lens, lens, basically. yeah, Yeah. Like a long range. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then it's garnished with a little magnifying glass and a, a, like a Bigfoot evidence flag. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The I see a light, which is an anglerfish. I actually figured out a way to have like an anglerfish light hanging in front of its face. Yeah. Um, so it has a little light right in front of its nose. So there's a lot of things where like we had an idea of what we wanted to do and nobody was making what we wanted. So mm-hmm. I was like, I'm just going to make it. I'm going to do yeah. it. I'm going to make it happen. And I did, did. you make stuff like that before or, or no. was, you just kind of jump <laughs> into it? <laughs> I just did it. I mean, it, it, it was kind of weird. Like luckily and unluckily we opened or attempted to open in a pandemic and right. or started the build out in the beginning of the pandemic. We got the lease for this space January of 2020. Okay. So wow. three months later, yeah. everything yeah. was shut down. Um, and it was, like I said, it was both a blessing and a curse because looking back, there's no way that we would have been able to keep Rumba open while building this bar out because they are attached to each other. They're right. They share a wall. Mm. And so, you know, Rumba served actually as like a really good staging space for all of these design elements that went on because the space is so small. It was really hard to manufacture anything to get some of these pieces built for the space. Um, When you say some of these pieces, people should know that there's like a 30 foot octopus (laughs) on the ceiling. 36 foot. 36, 36 foot. foot. Good yeah. correction. Divided by eight feet. Yeah. No, wait. That's a bad joke. <laughs> the, t- the tentacles are, the longest ones are 18 feet long. Um, and then they range from like 16 to 18 feet. Um, and it hangs over the ceiling and it takes up almost the entire ceiling. Yeah. It's um, really cool. Okay. I mean, just in does. pictures, I'm sure in person, it's like, I mean, you call it an immersive bar. It feels like it would be immersive if you were in there. I hope so. You know, that's what we were going for. We we don't want anybody to feel like they're still in Seattle per se. Maybe you're still in Seattle, but maybe you're in a sunken ship underneath the sound. Right. That's fine. Um, the whole idea is uh, this sea monster because she's not. She's too big to be a real octopus. She's huge. That's true. Uh, we call it, we call her Kiki, by the way. That's the name that we've all given her. Oh, that um, sounds like a sweet name. Yeah. So we the idea is that Kiki lives um, somewhere along the inside passage. We don't know where. And the whole idea is she likes to collect things. She is a collector, perhaps mm. a hoarder, a bit of a Kiki hoarder. Kiki the klepto, maybe? Yeah, I, exactly. <laughs> and uh, what she does is she grabs whatever floats by. And she kind of decorates her little house with all of that. And the idea is we're in her house. So she has grabbed uh, a ship, an old ship from the inside passage from many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. And that has become her home. And then we've decorated it with everything else that she's grabbed along the way. Barrels of rum, uh, little trinkets, maps, et cetera, et cetera. There's, There's plenty of rum on the wall. There's plenty of like sea life that hangs out here lots of like really cool lamps and we're just kind of guests in Kiki's house here. 
Uh, and that's, that's the whole idea. So it is definitely immersive in that we want you to get away, but we also wanted to draw elements from what we know yeah. and what is here and like the kind of like beautiful, elusive elements that exist here in the Pacific Northwest as well. And the inside passage is like, it's, I'm going to get it wrong, but it's like the body of water like runs between Alaska and Washington, yeah. correct? So, so it doesn't refer to the water. It actually refers to the inlets and oh, okay. like mm. actual, it is an actual passageway. Okay. Um, in Because we, the coast is littered with just a ton of really cool islands mm-hmm. all the way from Seattle. Actually, I think the inside passage goes, it might be just Seattle to Alaska. But um, yeah, so that's what it refers to uh, is that actual passageway. And it kind of has like many, many meetings because you have the inside passage, which is the, the specific Northwest, you know, reference of all of these little passageways with the islands. And then also you have the inside passage inside of Rumba. So you walk into oh, Rumba you and go. you yeah, have to pass through it. Rumba in order to get here. So it's our homage to a really cool element of inside of Seattle of the Pacific Northwest. And then also to how the bars relate to each other as well. That's really awesome. And, and you mentioned Rumba, Jen, and obviously most people in the rum world know you through Rumba and your work there. So for those that haven't been there, how would you describe the Rumba part of the bar here? And how did you find your way there in the first place? I describe Rumba as like a very, very beautiful, fun, Caribbean rum bar, like at its very core, everything that we do here, the decor, the, the food, the, the cocktail program is all geared towards celebrating rum and celebrating where rum comes from. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we draw a lot of influence from classic rum cocktails. The daiquiri is the cornerstone of our bar program, but we also like to highlight rum in ways that people don't necessarily expect. So you know, we have a really delicious old fashioned on the menu. And, you know, the comment that I get all the time is like, oh, old fashions can be made with rum. (laughs) Absolutely, they can, you know, and that might not seem so like crazy out of this world over the top wild to people listening to this podcast, probably. But for the guests, that a lot of the guests that come in here, you know, it's this really lovely learning moment for them as well. Yeah. I've also, I've, I've started to interrupt. I've made this observation the other day I was at a bar um, and, you know, I've just kind of started getting back and like going to bars in person, which has been really lovely to be able to do. And it wasn't, it wasn't a rum focused bar or anything, but I've noticed that if I order a rum old fashioned at a bar, I feel like it's like a secret code where the bartender is like, oh, this (laughs) guy. Yeah. And it gets like a positive reaction from bartenders. I feel like when you go with the rum old fashioned. It, rum is definitely having its like nerdy bartender <laughs> heyday right now. I mean, like rum and agave for sure. Mm-hmm. There's so much to learn about both of those categories of spirits. I, you know, those two are the most similar as far as the amount of information that it, diversity within the category. Mm-hmm. As far as as far as like all of the spirits, if we compare all of them, you know, you you don't have a lot of differences within the categories of like vodka gin obviously there's differences but not nearly as wide a breadth as Mm. as rum and agave um so i often talk about rum and agave in very similar Mm -hmm. terminology which is one of my favorite things about rum so yeah and then as far as how i got into rumba my rum journey is really kind of crazy and weird Uh, i think most people's are but (laughs) i'm i'm 37 now 
And I started my kind of like quote unquote bartending career in my early 20s. And when I was 20, 21 years old, something like that, I remember my roommate had this crush on this this guy and she invited him and his friend over to our apartment. She just like really insisted that I wing woman for her. And he, they brought this bottle of Captain Morgan spiced rum. Mm. And I am a very competitive person. So what happened was they were like, let's take shots. Let's do a shot. You know, you're 20 and you're stupid. I was really dumb when I was 20. And I was like, yeah, I can kick your ass. I can totally take more shots than you. This thing I've never had. And so I did that <laughs> and I, I did win. I will say I did win. Um, Good. Will not Congratulations. Be uh, I didn't win in the, in the end, in the long <laughs> yeah. run. I very much lost. Uh, and I was sick, so sick. I felt horrible. I, I still, to this day, that was, oh gosh, like many years ago, 17 years ago. And I still, to this day, cannot open a bottle of Captain Morgan Spice Rum and uh, not feel completely Queasy. sick. Like yeah. it just, it just, I can't, I can't. Yep. <laughs> um, and so I didn't actually drink rum for like nine years after that. Mm-hmm. And the first time I actually gave rum a shot was at Rumba sitting at Kate Perry's bar. And I had just moved to Seattle. I had moved to Seattle the year before. Uh, Rumba had actually opened the year before. It was 2012 that Rumba opened. This was 2013 that I came and I, I met Kate for the first time. I'd been bartending in Seattle for a year at that point. And everyone was like, you're a badass female bartender. You really have to know Kate Perry. <laughs> yeah. And she works at Rumba. It's a rum bar. And I'm like, I don't know. I really hate rum. And they're like, you won't after you meet Kate, we promise. So I came in and I sat down and I was like, Hey, I hear you're somebody I should know. And I hear that you're going to convince me that I like rum because I don't like rum. And she's like, yeah, we're going to work on that. And she put <laughs> Three rums in front of me. Uh, I think I started a rum map and I think she started me in Panama. She was like, we're going to ease you in okay, really yeah. gently. Makes uh-huh. sense. Yeah. And I was converted. I was converted after that. You know, I had been a like bourbon drinker. I really loved uh, tequila at that point. I was really into everything except rum. And at that point I was like, I was sold. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was rum itself, Kate, Rumba, or just probably the combination of all three. I became obsessed, like obsessed. Um, That's like an amazing setting to be introduced to rum properly is at at Rumba with this amazing selection of rums with Kate Perry as like your tour guide (laughs) into the world of rum. It's pretty great. she changed my life, like definitely changed my life because from that point on, I was like, I have to work at Rumba. Like this is, this is the only goal in my life now. And I harassed her and Jim incessantly from there on out. And she was like, nobody ever leaves. Nobody ever leaves. So I never have jobs for, I, I don't have a job for you. And so, you know, we stayed friends and, um, I worked at many other bars. I worked at Tavern Law, Needle and Thread, Oliver's Twist, Tin Table, lots of bars, got lots of experience. I did speed rack with her. You know, I really was like working my way through the ranks of bartending in Seattle. And then I got a job offer in Ashland, Oregon to help open a little hotel bar down there. Oh wow! And I had been there for about a year and she called me up and she was like, Hey, I think Jim might be leaving do you want to come be the manager? (laughs) And I was like, Whoa, I was thinking I was just going to like wait some tables, maybe (laughs) bartend, but you want me to come manage. Okay. So I came up and I did like a little stage and I spent the weekends here just kind of learning the ins and outs. And, um, 
at that point I was like, I would love to come work here. I don't think I'm ready to manage. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to bartend. So they hired Tommy Stearns to manage six months later, Tommy had moved on and they promoted me to bar manager. And then six months after that, Kate left and I became GM. Wow. So a year after moving back to Seattle, I became general manager of Rumba. I still cannot believe it because even to this day, five years later, I still feel like I have so much to learn. And I, I, every day is challenging and it hasn't gotten any easier in the sense that like, I still am working really hard to keep my knowledge up, make sure I'm doing right by my boss, by my employees and my guests, you know, like there's a lot of moving parts at this bar and I'm just constantly striving to do the best that I can for this place because I, more than anywhere else, I'm obsessed with this bar. I absolutely love it. Like I said, it's changed my life, opened up so many opportunities for me. And I still love rum as much as I did that moment I sat down at Kate Perry's bar. So Aww, that's awesome. Living the dream. Awesome. Truly. When you talk about like still working really hard to keep your knowledge up and things like that, what are what are some ways you do that? Like, is that a matter of like really trying to get out there and and experience other other bar programs? Is it like studying rum? Like, like what are some ways that you do that? Uh, I think it's all of the above. You know, I there's I've, as you guys probably know, there is unfortunately like a severe lack of information about a lot of rums out there. And to Mm -hmm. me, it doesn't matter how much I read about a rum or a distillery. uh, I won't know actually what is going on at that distillery until I visit or until, you know, I've heard from the mouth of the distiller themselves, Mm -hmm. you know, it's really hard to, to look at somebody and be like, Hey, I know exactly how this is made. Despite the fact that no one's ever been able to tour that part of the distillery We don't actually know if that's true. No one can confirm what kind of still they use. No one can Mm. confirm if they're using that distillate in this. No one can confirm if they're adding sugar or not. You know, all of these things. And so for me, knowledge is about just learning as much as I can, talking to as many people as I can, and being a part of, you know, like all of the Facebook groups, um, making connections, reading everywhere that I can, knowing like which parts of the internet are going to give me good information and which aren't, you know, because there's so much like contrasting information out there. Yeah, That's a skill nowadays. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, like when I'm training my bar staff too, I'm like, here's the places where you look for information. Everybody has to read and a bottle of rum. That's required Mm -hmm. reading for (laughs) my staff. Yeah. 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 And then honestly, everybody should read potions of the Caribbean as well. Um, It's really good history of Tiki. Um, And then I tell them, you know, all of Matt Petrick's articles have so much information, just yes. like baseline information about distilleries, styles of rum, things like that. So I always tell them to kind of check out what he has written. And then from there on, it's just kind of like you're on your own. <laughs> Find what you can. You <laughs> it's, know, it's funny yeah. that you bring that up just because our, our last episode we had on Lance Surajbali, who writes the LoneCaner.com website. That's another and, one that I send yeah. them to. And mm-hmm. he's he has so much like like Matt's website is like this in a way too, where it's like the only place on the internet that has this specific piece of information about, you know, this brand or this bottle or this distillery. And we were just talking with him about how much 
known unknowns there are out there in the world of rum right now and how like um we need more people to like be finding out this information and preserving it and and making sure we don't lose it because it's so Absolutely. easy to lose that stuff so that's really cool yeah yeah lone caner we actually me and my staff were talking about lone caner last night as well nice. as far as like resources really good resources to uh look to for information um and then other than that, yeah, like I always look to my peers in this community. And by this community, I mean the bar community at large. Mm. I'm very lucky to be networked with a lot of people all over this country, as well as in other countries, thanks to this bar and things like the cocktail apprenticeship program through Tales of the Cocktail. So constantly like making sure I'm staying up to date with knowledge outside of rum. I, I do honestly, sometimes think about what it would be like for me to leave Rumba and go work at a bar that's not a rum bar yeah. and just be like, yeah, I have so many years of experience and I've been general manager of this incredible bar and I've done all of these amazing things. And yet I feel like uh, I'm drowning at a bar that serves more than like 10 bourbons because I'm so out of the world of everything else <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. uh, that I would really have to like go back and brush up on all that very specific knowledge So, yeah, I think it's just, you know, learning from wherever and whoever you can. I learn from my staff all the time, too. So there's there's never a lack of information out there. You just have to know where to find it. And you have to be open to listening to wherever it's coming from. So, Jen, I'm I'm in Miami, Florida. So I'm about as far away as you can get in the country (laughs) from you, unfortunately, and I have not had the chance to experience uh, what Rumba is like yet. But when I knew we were going to be interviewing you, one of the first things I did was go find the rum selection list at Rumba to look that over. And I I was expecting it to be pretty, you know, uh, uh, extensive. I was not expecting 20 pages. (laughs) I I was like, oh my God. Let me just say, first of all, that is incredible. I I was just blown away at at that. And I was like, I have to go there. I I love that it's all online too. Yes. Because some places, even rum bars, you you won't necessarily see that information. So that was really, really cool to see. But for us, obviously, like our rum geeks like us, there's no end to the number of rums that we want to see on a rum list, of course. But you as a bar manager, when it comes to carrying expensive rums for neat pours how do you prioritize what to carry or what you want to seek out and is there a point at which that list becomes just too long or do you just say you know what let's make this as long as possible that's a really good question and honestly like if if it were up to me and I didn't have to do inventory every month, uh, <laughs> I would say, let's just buy all of it. You know, like if money weren't an issue and I didn't have to spend eight hours doing inventory once a month, I I want all of it. I want uh, everything that's good and everything that's worth it, um, whether it sits on my shelf for years or not. Hmm. I am very, very, we are very, very lucky to have quite a few regulars that come in and they just want whatever we have that's new, they don't care. You know, if it's new, they want it, they want to try it. And so part of my job is really making sure that for those people, I always have something for them to try. You know, it's been a challenge coming out of the pandemic. You know, we were closed for almost 15 months. And so, you know, I haven't bought any new rum uh, for obvious reasons. You know, Uh, it's not necessarily a huge priority for me to have new cool stuff on the shelf. That being said, I did just get a new rum in today. So that's fun. So I at least have one thing for them to try. And then prioritizing for me, you know, we don't have a ton of space. You probably saw pictures. Our shelves are like sometimes three deep. So it's all about curation. You know, 
it's, I have to have rums for everyone. So I have to have all different kinds of styles at all different kinds of price points at all different kinds of nerdiness. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have some nerdy rums that are inexpensive and not super hard to get that are really fun. Paranubes is a prime example. That's Mm -hmm. nerdy, weird, different, not expensive, easy to get. Um, And then you have uh, super nerdy stuff that is hard to get for us, like core core from Japan. Ooh, I um, just got that. It's pretty good. It's yep. really good. I really yeah. like it. Do you have the molasses or the cane? The molasses. I wasn't green, able to get the cane. The but label. No, I or no, you have the red one. I have the red label. Yeah. yeah. But I want the green so bad now because now I have to try them both. Well, I'm yeah. going to tell you in my personal opinion, the green is better, but I'm also a- like an agricole style like uh, I read that obsessed. about you, I think. Yes, you're yeah. an agricultural uh, minded <laughs> yeah. person. Gotcha. So then I also have to balance, you know, making sure I'm not just buying rum for myself, too. Mm. Uh, it, <laughs> That's and, what I would do if I was in your shoes. So I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we would, everything would be agricultural at that point. Agricultural, <laughs> Barbados, and Jamaica. That would be. It would be rumba with rum. an H, right? R H U M B A. Exactly. So, you know, it is a fine line. And I also have to like respect my boss as well and make sure I don't have inventory just sitting on the shelves. So in the past we have had things like the rum of the month and the champion bottle. So rum of the month is open for anyone and it's uh, half off. And then we have a champion bottle, which is for anyone that has finished our rum map, like our rum club, which is mm-hmm. once you finish 60 pours of rum, Woo. you get added to our wall and then you get our champion bottle, which is our at cost. So you get, the bottle or the pour at what it cost us. That's so cool. That is awesome. We do that. Yeah. And it's a really good way for us to have nerdy rums on the shelf, sell some of it, and then we can still have some on the shelf. People get to try it and it doesn't, we don't have a whole bottle or two just sitting on our shelf collecting dust because right. not everybody wants to try a, you know, $50 a pour rum. Exactly. Yeah. What's the champion rum right now? We don't have one right now. We haven't brought that back quite okay. yet. I think okay. it's going to be coming. I've been a little distracted with this uh, Inside Passage opening. <laughs> Just a little um, thing opening a whole but, other bar. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it will be coming back hopefully in the next month or so. We're, we're also revamping the Rumba menu slowly. We, we cut it back from like a 30 cocktail menu to about a 15 cocktail menu uh, mm. when we reopened. And we're slowly but surely adding cocktails back in. I have yeah. with Inside Passage opening, we doubled our staff in less than a month and actually two weeks we doubled our staff. So uh, I wanted to not throw in, throw at them like, you know, 40 cocktails plus 20 cocktails at inside passage, plus all of these crazy garnishes and all this new stuff to learn. Yeah. So I've tried to like ease them in as best I can. And now I'm slowly but surely just like adding cocktails back onto the menu and getting them used to having 40 cocktails memorized. So Wow. Was that an easy process of like selecting which 15 or was it like you did like a like an NCAA March Madness bracket and like put them all against each other and figured out who the 15 best were? Uh, as far as like staffing? No, no, no. I, I mean like uh, for drinks. No, staffing. Oh, hopefully, hopefully we don't treat staff that way. <laughs> I was like, yeah. that's been, no. been a very inhumane question, I feel <laughs> <That> like. <laughs> for the cocktails on the menu, was it was it tough to, to pick those 15 or was it kind of like, nope, these are our 15 that we're going to go with? Um, yeah. So I kind of went with the, the best sellers pre pandemic, the ones that yeah. sold really well, Makes that sense. were easy to make that, uh, cross utilized ingredients. So we didn't have to worry about, you know, huge liquor orders and things like that. And then as far as like adding new cocktails, we do, I open new cocktails up to the entire staff, barbacks, servers, hosts, anybody who wants to submit. 
cool. um, because most of our staff actually does have bartending experience, even our barbacks. Mm-hmm. And so it, it allows them to, you know, have ownership over the bar and have pride in it as well. Um, and basically what we do is everybody submits recipes. We all get together on a day. We make them for each other. We discuss them. You know, we make some alterations and changes, and then we come back in another week with all of those changes made. And then we decide from there, which cocktails are going to go on the menu. And that's, that's how it's going to go now. Obviously things are a little bit different. You go from a staff of 12 to a staff of 24 Mm. and things change slightly, but we've, we've pretty much maintained the same kind of culture and the same kind of like inclusion of everyone as a part of this team. So that's been really nice. And hopefully in the next month or so we'll have new cocktails for everyone to try, which also, you know, we have some really incredible new talents in addition to the people that already worked here that are also amazing. And so, you know, I really want to highlight their abilities to make incredible cocktails. So yeah. I'm starting to see why you said people don't leave Rumba, right? This sounds like a really <laughs> yeah. great culture. I've it's- tried. You know, we <laughs> we were very lucky that um, we're one of the only bars that the entire staff came back after the pandemic. Wow. Yeah. So, That's amazing. Yeah. You know, talking about kind of surveying all the rums that are out there, I- I'm interested from your perspective as a bar manager, when you look at everything that's available right now, are there any particular types or styles of rum that you wish there were more of or like a rum for a specific purpose? Um, and you can factor in like things like price, availability, stuff like that. Um, I think that you know the answer to this yep, question that was, I'm going to say, hmm. and that's agricole. And honestly, it, it's gotten so much better in the last three years, you know, with yeah, uh, the introduction of Trois Rivières to this market. Uh, St. James is now in this market. Mm. There's, it, I think that it's gaining traction. So for me, that's really nice to be able to have you know multiple different affordable bottles of rum agricole that I can offer people and put in my cocktails. And then otherwise, you know, what's crazy is there's to me only one Smith and Cross. There's nothing that replaces <laughs> Smith and Cross. It is truly the workhorse of the bar. Um, we put it in almost everything I have in the past referred to Jamaican rum, especially Smith and cross as salt, Mm, something mm, that you can throw a little bit into just about everything. And it just kind of amps that cocktail up a touch. Mm. Um, I really like having a little bit of that proofy, like Jamaican funkiness Mm -hmm. in virtually everything. And there's nothing out there at the price point at the proof with the body, with the flavor that Smith and Cross offers. I feel like what came close to that for a little bit, just, and this is probably more like consumers talking about it this way, but stolen overproof for a while was kind of like, you Mm. can get Smith and Cross or this and they're, they're different, but I think, you know, similar or close to each other in proof close in price point. I feel like obviously both from Jamaica, but that I think is all pretty much gone. I don't think they're making more of that. So it's, it is gone. I think that we might have like a tiny bottle on the back bar. Mm -hmm. I have one at home, I think. Uh, but it was honestly like, yes, very similar, but it had a little bit more of like that burnt rubber, burnt tire, mm-hmm. like smoky funk, mm-hmm. not smoky. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that, that kind of funkiness to it that Smith and Cross doesn't quite have. It's a it's just slightly more aggressive. Mm-hmm. And we've definitely used that in the past for sure, but it's just, it's hard. And like, I talk about this with lots of other bar managers where it's like, okay, you're out of, you know. Um, Jim Beam, there's countless other brands <laughs> yeah. of bourbon yeah. that you can put in its place. Yeah. Are they going to be a little different? Yes, of course. But 
uh, not in the way that Smith and Cross differs from everything else that's available in this market at that price point. Mm-hmm. Would I love to put like the the La Maison and Velier Hamden green label in everything? Yeah, I absolutely would. Would that be like a similar ish, slightly better? Yes, but it's also double the price. You yeah, know, like yeah. it's things like that that uh, make it a frustrating in the world of rum because unlike bourbon, it's just not as popular. So there's just not as many options like that. That Hampton Green label is so ridiculously good in cocktails um, by itself as well. And I like I it's so good in them. I try to resist doing it because I'd rather just drink it on its own. Um, But sometimes I can't resist. It's so good. Dude, there's nothing wrong with a daiquiri made with a really fantastic rum. I think it's a great way to highlight everything delicious about rum so yeah. or an old-fashioned yeah, fashion. yeah. That, that's what i lean with that hampton green label sometimes um I, i'm also curious in as you've been at rumba what have been the biggest differences between the rums most commonly used when you started there versus the ones most commonly used now and i guess i'm referring more more to uh, more so in cocktails um, have, have those changed much over the years? Has that evolved? Um, is it, is it something you're speaking to the availability issue? Sometimes something is available and then it goes away. Is it kind of a constant battle? What does, what does that look like? It is a constant battle. I mean, we're dealing right now with, you know, like we use real McCoy in a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. It switched distributors. It's out of stock one week. It's not, it's out of stock, not mm. out of stock the next week, things like that. Um, El Dorado is a really prime example, like the diamond dark. We use that in our Tiki blend and we cannot get it right now. So we've had to kind of alter things as we go. We've, we've learned to be really, really flexible mm-hmm. at this bar. And then otherwise, most of the changes have just been just due to all of the new cool stuff that's available. Right. So yeah. what happens is new cool stuff comes out, bartenders get excited. And then all of a sudden you see the, that new cool stuff in everyone's drinks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's gotten to the point where I have to tell people, okay, we can only do one cocktail with Claren or two <laughs> cocktails with Claren. You know, we need, I didn't we still even think need, about that. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. still need like several really like classic rum cocktails. Like let's, let's revisit Barbados. I know that Claren is like the new cool thing, mm. but we can't have only Claren cocktails. This is coming from the person that puts <laughs> agricole in everything. So right. You know, I have, I have to force myself, like think outside of what you are super excited about right now and think about like where the guest is coming from and what the guest is going to be excited about. Mm. And, you know, I'm definitely really excited about lots of different rums, but you know, you get laser focused on like these weird, bizarre rums that are coming into the market. And that's what bartenders like, because, you know, we do this for a living. We do it every day. And when we get to taste something crazy, all we want to do is play around with that and introduce people to that. I, I find that uh, when we get new cool rums in, I have to overorder them at first because the bartenders will just continually recommend them and we'll mm. go through them faster than what we will in six months, which was the case of like Paranubes. The second Paranubes hit the market up here. It was like we were going through it like crazy because all the bartenders were like, oh, you want to try something weird? Try this. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagine like so. coming out of jacket. You want to try something? Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pull it exactly. out. Exactly. <laughs> That's what it seems like when you sit at this bar sometimes. They're like, oh, you want to try something funky and weird? I mean, I do that. That's all what I'm the like time. when I have my friends over. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, hey, check this out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just wait until you sit at my bar. And uh I had somebody the other day who was like, I like this kind of rum. What do you recommend? And I poured him uh a, like a Dorley's 
And he was like, oh, this is delicious. Now I want to try something really weird. And I was like, really weird? And he's like, yeah, really weird. And I was like, okay, are you ready? And he's like, I think so. And I poured him the Savannah Lawn Tan Grand Arome from Reunion. Yes. Wow, yeah. And he was like, what is this? <laughs> I was like, you said really weird. He's like, I didn't think rum got this weird. I was like, well, that's what I'm here for. Yes. I, so, did, the, I did the same thing, but it was the Savannah Her um, oh, the other night. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Was, yeah, with my sister-in-law's boyfriend, I was like, "You should check this out." He took that it really well. So fun! It's yeah. so fun. Yep, that's my go-to as well for just blowing people's minds. I love doing that. I love that we all just go to reunion to blow people's <laughs> yeah. minds. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Jen, you mentioned earlier a little bit about Facebook and social media and how you you get involved in some of those. And um, I know I saw a post that you posted uh, a few months ago about building your own house blends there. And apparently I wasn't the only one who saw it and was interested because I know, and you mentioned Matt Petrick already, he reposted it on his site, Cocktail Wonk, as well. So I was hoping to give you a little bit more space to talk about some of that and maybe fill in anything else that you might not have included in the original post. But maybe we should start with this. What prompted you to change the Rumba House Blend to begin with a few months ago? And how long did it take to reformulate that? So we actually changed it. What prompted me to change it was that article that was written. I think it was, it was Wayne, Wayne Curtis, right? Yeah. Wayne yeah. Curtis wrote it. And that was the rum blend that was created before I was at Rumba. It was created around what was available at the time, what was affordable. The whole idea of a rum blend, and I think a lot of people can understand this, especially in the world of rum, is like what one rum can do, five can definitely do better. Um, like I said, they are so diverse and different that it's just like building a cocktail where you're like, okay, I want a little bit of, you know, lime and a little bit of sugar, and maybe this needs a touch of absinthe and et cetera, et cetera. You Mm -hmm. want these different flavor elements to build a dynamic cocktail that hits on all points. You want the same. Yeah, exactly. You want the same thing from your spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think blending is kind of like a new ish thing that is happening in bars, not just with rum, you know, I've seen like vermouth blends, scotch blends, Mm -hmm. et Mm -hmm. A lot of it's just so you can get the flavor into that blend that you want without breaking the bank, you know, because we would all love to use Ardbeg in everything, but that's expensive. So how do we make something that is affordable that gives us all of the things that we want from Ardbeg or Laphroaig or something like that Mm -hmm. while still making it affordable for the guest? So for us, that's a big element of it. You know, if I could, I'd use Probitas in all of my daiquiris, but that would be a fairly expensive daiquiri here in Washington state. Mm -hmm. So what I try to do is I try to create the daiquiri that I want and what I think all of my guests want. Like I said, this started um, after that article came out and Wayne Curtis didn't say anything necessarily negative, but it wasn't his favorite. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm a very competitive person and I was like, well, I want it to be his favorite. You know, I, I hope I hope he listens to this and I hope he tries our new rum blend at some point. So I workshopped it for quite a long time. And uh, it was also after doing some research, talking to Matt Petrick, talking about what Cuban rum would have tasted like at the time that the daiquiri was created. And then also incorporating like, I want somebody coming in off the street that typically only drinks like gimlets or old fashions to love it as well as somebody coming in who's been coming here for years who really Mm. likes funky weird stuff and just wants like a delicious daiquiri and they want to be able to taste the rum so i had to find like that middle ground and i think one of the hardest parts of running a bar program or even being a bartender creating drinks 
is that you're not creating them for you and you're not creating them for your friends. You're creating them for everyone. <laughs> you're creating them for you, your friends, and right. the people that are sitting at your bar. Yeah. And the people sitting at your bar run the gambit of like uh, palettes and what they enjoy and things like that. And um, you have no idea like what that person has. Everything changes as a person's palate, you know, the experience that they had the bar before, what they ate earlier, all of those things. So you have to like take all of that into consideration. And that's how I landed on what we have. So I, I use a Puerto Rican backbone um, because to me, it's basically like, what's the best way to describe it? It's really like mellow, chill. It does its job. It has a lot of like barrel characteristic, but it's not heavy. It's not overpowering. And then that extends, creates like a, an extension so that we can use a lot of that. And then we can just build flavor around it. I kind of mm. think of it as like highs, lows, and mids. Mm. My Puerto Rican rum is, is the mid, mm-hmm. the backbone of it. And then my highs are like my, my Barbados rums um, that I put in there. And then my lows would be like my Jamaican rums. And there's a little so Smith and Cross in there, right? Of course <laughs> there's Smith and Cross in there. Yes. Uh, we use Real McCoy three-year in it. Um, we use a little bit of Royal Standard, which is a Jamaican Barbados blend. Uh, and then, of course, we use Smith and Cross. So it creates like this really lovely, rich, round rum that's not too heavy for a daiquiri but it's not so light that it disappears and you do get a little bit of that smith and cross funk in there which is really nice like once a week i'll have a daiquiri here just to make sure i still love it (laughs) um and it's still just absolutely delicious i love it and then the other part of it is the former rum blend had plantation original dark in it Mm. And it created a daiquiri that wasn't the color that I wanted. That's yeah, the other thing. Right, you know, yeah. we drink with our eyes too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wanted like a really light, bright, lime looking daiquiri. Yeah. So that also helped with the creation of what our rum blend is now. That's kind of the yeah. basic of, of how that ha- happened. And I'm always looking to make sure it's still as good as the day that I made it. And is it like uh, every, do you have it like on your schedule? Is it like every Saturday evening, end of shift, you make that daiquiri, you pour it for yourself, you sip it? Yep. Is that- <laughs> uh, honestly, it depends on uh, the week that I've had. Sometimes <laughs> like it, a little earlier. Yeah. Sometimes I, I try it multiple times a week <laughs> to make sure it's still good. Um, I, you know, honestly, it's like we, we make these DTOs or daiquiri timeouts for, for guests um, for regulars, for people who have completed their rum map, et cetera. And at the end of the night, because we usually, we just take one daiquiri, split it in two. And occasionally at the end of the night, we'll have one left over. And I'll just be like, okay, well, that's that's for me then. You that's go. mine. You, yeah. I thought somebody, somebody got in trouble or something with a daiquiri timeout. That's like for, for, <laughs> for us with kids. That's what I was thinking. I was like, oh gosh, somebody got in trouble in the bar. Here, go have this. <laughs> Sit in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> I, a timeout is not a bad thing here. It's I see. I see. Go yes, take for a time adults. out and drink yes. your daiquiri. <laughs> <laughs> Be quiet. <laughs> Did you arrive at the rums that were going to go into that blend fairly quickly and then it was a matter of ratios or were you constantly tinkering with all the rums until you arrived at it and like the ratios weren't really a big deal? Uh, the ratios were a relatively big deal. It's You have to sit down with the cost of the bottle in front of you and then you put all of the bottles that you think would work in front of you and you're like all right how how, like logically in my brain because the way that i do things even with cocktails is i formulate an idea in my head first that Mm -hmm. and what i think it's going to taste like okay and then i put it and then i put it into practice basically Mm. so 
what I did, I knew that I wanted a Puerto Rican backbone. I knew, and like, I'm thinking about like the history of rum and, and Cuban rum and Puerto Rican rum and all of these things. And, you know, I had like Kate Perry in my ear being like, you know, that they used to use a little bit of pot still in Cuban rum. And I'm like, oh shit. Well, okay. Uh, Smith and Cross, come on, bring it on, you know? And so I have like everything there. And, you know, I'm also thinking about the daiquiris that I love, the daiquiris that I've made in the past with certain rums that I think are really good. You know, I have a regular, his name is Reynolds. And one day he came in, he was like, I want a rum bar daiquiri. And I was like, which rum bar? And he was like, I don't know, all of them. Okay, great. Everyone, everyone. (laughs) All of them. And so I, you know, was like, all right, rum bar silver, rum bar gold, rum bar overproof. This is going to be delicious. Mm -hmm. And so I remember trying that and being like, man, that like nice balance of unaged age overproof was really lovely. Um, And then I'm thinking about color and I'm like, all right, I can't have too many dark rums in here. And, you know, I just lined it up and I just started building. And honestly, it took an afternoon. It just took one afternoon of sampling, trying, and then I have a very mathematical brain. Mm. And so I'm building in like half and quarter ounce Mm. intervals, basically like, okay, I know that it's going to be one ounce of this. And then I'm just going to quarter half all the way up. And then if a quarter is too much, all right, then I'm going to start with two and I'm going to do a quarter ounce there that way, you know, cause an eighth of it it's silly to try and pour an eighth of an ounce into anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then it's just kind of like building it out in your brain, figuring out how much of what works, making lots of daiquiris. I don't remember it being difficult. Uh, I remember it being very fun. Yeah. So if you can imagine. It sounds like doing like a rum based puzzle or something. Yes. This is up my alley. I I love it. (laughs) I, I want to do this with my rums at home now. I'm just going to try to start lining them up and do this. Everyone should. It's it's actually really fun. It is very much like a puzzle. Um, and then, you know, costing it out, figuring out how much it's going to cost, making sure it fits into your poor cost so that it's affordable for the guest. Especially like when we have happy hour, our daiquiris are like $9. Um, so which in Washington state is very cheap. I don't know if you guys know this, but Washington state has the highest liquor tax in the entire country. Mm. Yeah. It's like 30% higher than Oregon, which is even really, really high. So yeah, my favorite thing to tell people is that green chartreuse here costs like almost $90. Oh my God. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, it's wow. insane. If I, you thought, don't buy I thought 64 was bad. That's what it is. I'm in Nashville. So um, yeah, it's expansive. <laughs> count, count my blessings. <laughs> yeah. So there's just a lot that goes into it. And I'm still super happy with it. And honestly, like the staff has to write off, like sign off on it too. You know, I, I want to make sure that my staff loves it as well. And honestly, if I had had any member of my staff be like, mm, I don't know, I think this might be a little too heavy. I'd be like, all right, let's reformulate. So yeah. So over the years, I know that you have been able to try and or offer quite a few rare or unusual rums at Rumba. And one one of the things I remember this sticking out in my mind, y'all did an event in early 2020 and it was it featured a tasting of a bottle of old Medford rum that was uh, from 1892. And I remember saying that just thinking like what an incredible event it would have been. And I, I exchanged emails with someone who attended it and gave me detailed notes on what it was like and everything. And it sounded amazing. But w- when you think back on experiences like that, what what have been a few of the highlights or biggest surprises you've had, you know, whether it was part of a big event or just, you know, something that you had uh, a chance to try, you know, at the end of a night or, or something like that, or during, during a timeout. Um, that, that event was probably the craziest event we've ever done as far as like that rum and, you know, having, 
having Mag- Maggie was going to be here. Yeah. She wasn't able to join, but she did join us via Zoom. Um, right. And, you know, having her being a part of it was absolutely incredible. She was such a like wealth of knowledge for me during that because, you know, like I said, I'm still learning and, you know, U.S. made rums are not the area that I'm uh, the most knowledgeable in. You know, and so I reached out to Maggie because I was like, I know somebody who's going to know a ton about this. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. learning the history of of Medford rum is, was super cool, super fun. I don't know if you guys know much about Medford rum and the history of rum in the U.S., but the U.S. actually has a very rich history with rum, which is super cool. Uh, and then seeing people's reactions to that event was just really rad. We do still have some of that rum left I think at least online, it's it's the highest pour of oh, everything yeah. listed. I think it's five hundred dollars an ounce. Yes, yeah. five hundred mm. an ounce. But it's from eighteen ninety two people, so like you know, I honestly pricing that has been <laughs> so hard. I reached out to some people that I was like, these are the only people I can think of that would know how to price this, and all they did was ask me how much I wanted for the bottle. So that's how I knew that I was like, all right, I can basically price this however I want at this point. Like, you know, there's nothing out there that is telling me how much this bottle is worth. And I did speak to several people to verify the authenticity of it, including Dave Wondrich. He actually came and looked at the bottle for me. That's awesome. Um, yeah. It was a really cool backstory, feel, like how it all yeah. came together. Um, I don't, I, I can't remember all the details. I just remember someone like got it from his, his parents had it in their attic or yeah. something like that. Um, yeah. So uh, the, the man that had it, he used to be the manager of, of Canless uh, here in Seattle, which is the most famous restaurant here. Okay. And, you know, it's a very, very old restaurant. It is definitely one of those like old school, super duper fine dining, you know, valet service must wear a jacket kind of restaurant. And his parents found it in their parents' basement, some garage, something like that. And, you know, he's really good friends with the owner of this bar, Travis, and he brought it to Travis and he was like, hey, are you interested in this? And Travis is like, heck, yeah, I am. And he brought it to me and he's like, Jen, do we want this? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Of course we want it. <laughs> like, I've been asking you for more vintage spirits. I mean, I think that you went a little extreme on the 1892, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, yeah, so it's I did get to try it. It didn't taste anything like what I thought it was going to taste like. It actually, I thought it was going to be terrible. Yeah, it was. It was actually quite tasty. It was preserved really, really well. Um, we didn't have a ton of loss in it. We did have a bit of loss, but yeah, it that that rum that rum really surprised me. And then, other than that, you know, we've done so many events here. We've hosted, you know, Richard Seal. We've hosted Ben from Spearbomb. We've hosted Lynette when she was working with Sakapa. Uh, we've hosted Ben from Real McCoy. I mean, we've hosted Zan from Worthy Park. Mm. We've hosted so many people and every single one of them is so much fun. I always get to party with them before and after. Uh, Francois from Trois Rivieres. He's one of my favorite mm-hmm. people to have here because he's just a really good time. Paul Packelt does his Rum Authority, Whiskey Authority, Brandy Authority courses here every time. And I always learn something new from him. I don't know. It's, it's really hard for me to like pinpoint an event where like one has been more insane and awesome over any of the others because everyone that is in the world of rum is just they become we become best friends immediately Mm -hmm. it's hard not to become best friends immediately yeah i do remember being in new york uh when velier was launched 
uh, in the U S and Gail seal grabbed me and was like, Hey, do you want to come try some rum in my hotel room? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> at, yes, absolutely. And so I just feel like every event is kind of like that, where it's just like you become friends immediately. I had not met her at, until that point. And there's, I don't know, you just party, you drink rum together. I have lots of pictures of me and uh, Antoine from Spirit Bomb, like just sipping on jam 1997 together, pouring it for 30 people that are attending a tasting. And, you know, I don't know. Uh, one of the things I love most about Rumba is how many of these events that we do and we open mm. it up to bartenders and to the public. So yeah. we're all about education here and uh it's one of the coolest things about my job is i get to teach people about rum constantly yeah and i remember going back to what you were saying about the the medford rum expecting it to be terrible and then being pleasantly surprised at how good it was that was the same response i got from the woman i know who attended um you know she said like I, I went into this thinking, you know, it's going to be special, even if it's not good, you know, because mm-hmm. it's just like an artifact, basically. But then the fact that it was also really good, I can't remember her exact description. I feel like she she described it as being somewhere almost like elements of a Guyanese and a Barbados rum or something like that. But yeah, that that sounded really special. So we'll be right there for the next event. <laughs> right, Let yeah. us know when the next old Mumford comes in. We'll, we'll, we'll be there. I, I will, I'm sorry. I I've had too much already. Yeah. <laughs> I like that old Mumford. Yeah. No, that's, that's fine. If it's Mumford from Mumford and Sons and he's coming that's in. Where, I that's where let... my brain went. Oh, you pulled that right out, Joe. Nice. I would love that. I used to have the biggest crush on that guy. <laughs> well, I actually, speaking of Medford Mumford, I think Medford rum was like, really often imitated like there were tons of knockoffs back in the day and it was tough to find the authentic authentic stuff so um there probably was an old mumford trying to rip people off at some point it was Um, uh, old medford rum and daniel lawrence they were so well respected and like arguably considered the best one of the best rums mm -hmm. um back in the day that is some of the research i did that is one thing that i did find is that that was a very well respected distillery Um, the product that they made was was very valued so yeah you, you touched on this a little bit when we were talking about making the rum blend, but I wanted to ask you about ideas for cocktails and what your creative process is like with that. Uh, I, I think you mentioned earlier you try to imagine like kind of the, the flavor profile or the taste that you're going for and, and aim for that. But wh- where do kind of ideas come from for you? Is it a particular ingredient? Is it like a feeling or, or kind of vibe you want to capture? Is it a combination of those things? What does it look like? It's all of the above. I've created cocktails based on, you know, a new cool ingredient, uh, something that my chef brings in and he's like, Hey, like this is going to be in, we're going to be able to get it for six months. You want to do a cocktail with it? Or I've created cocktails based on, you know, a rep bringing in a new rum, a new liqueur, a new Amaro, whatever. And just being like, Hey, this is priced at this. It's cocktail priced. If you like it, you know, I like to support all of the local liquors that are made out here, spirits, liqueurs, et cetera. We have a lot of really great distillers out here. So a lot of times, you know, I'm trying to incorporate them into my cocktails. Sometimes it's because somebody comes into my bar and they go, oh, I was just visiting this country that makes rum and this is how they drink it there. And it was really good. They make it with this ingredient and that. And I'll go, Mm. hmm, I wonder if I can get that ingredient here. And if I can, I try and like riff off of somebody else's experience somewhere. So like, for instance, we have a drink on the menu right now called the Red Wedding, which is overproof Jamaican rum and mezcal with a spiced hibiscus tea, kind of like a Jamaica with Aperol passion fruit and lime. It's one of our best-selling cocktails. Matt 
featured that's in, in Matt Petrick's book, Minimal's right? Tiki book, yeah. Yes. That came about because a regular or a guest came in and they were like, hey, we were just in Jamaica and they were we were drinking, you know, Ray and Nephew and Hamaica and it was really, really good. And mm. I was like, oh, that's not a combination I thought would go together, but let's try it out. And so that drink came about as a result. You know, sometimes it's just like if I see holes in our menu, like, you know, right now, uh, we have a lot of drinks with Orjad in it. And so I'm like, let's make something without Orjad. Let's mm. avoid that. Let's, we have a lot of like really, really summery tropical drinks. So, you know, now we're kind of working more towards fall kind of flavors and stuff like that. Um, we do change our menu seasonally. Okay. Um, so it's an element of a lot, like lots of elements go into play as far as like developing our cocktail menu. And, you know, I, because I give it to my staff, the other thing that happens is, you know, my staff has their own experiences and background that come into play yeah. with making the cocktails. So that's also really nice. We're all coming from a different place. We all have like this really unique palette and idea ideas in our heads. So it's nice to see it all come together. Yeah. So I wanted to touch on something that you talked about a little bit earlier and follow up on it. And it was about the types of people that we you have coming into to rumba. And I would imagine as a premier rum bar in the country and probably the world, that you have this really big dichotomy of people who are very inexperienced with rum, but say a rum bar and figure, hey, let's try it and see how it is. And then you have the, uh, the other end, the rum geeks or the rum nerds, like you said, that are attracted to it as well. So how do you manage that huge spectrum of what I would perceive? Is that, first of all, the case, I guess? And then secondly is, if so, how do you manage that? And are there like best practices that you would like throw out there for even other places that deal with that? Uh, absolutely. I feel like this is 90% of my job. That question right there is the biggest part of what I do for a living. And honestly, it's even more drastic than what you just expressed. I have people that come in here that have lived in Seattle their entire lives, lived down the street and did not know that and love rum and did not know that rumba existed. Hmm. Wow. Uh, that has happened countless times. I cannot even tell you people will walk in. I love rum. I didn't know this existed. How long have you guys been open? Nine years. <laughs> really? Nine years? How did I not know about this? I'm like, what have I, I have been doing with my no life? No <laughs> idea. Where have you been? Um, but, and we also get a lot of people. We are in a really interesting location. We're technically located on Capitol Hill, which is in Seattle, very centrally located where a ton of bars and restaurants exist. It's kind of one of the main places where people party and go out to eat. Uh, but then we're also right on the cusp of downtown. Downtown is more touristy. That's where you have like Cheesecake Factory and, and chain restaurants and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then between downtown and where we are, we have the Paramount Theater, um, which is like a really big theater for concerts and, and musicals and plays and stuff like that. And we also have the Convention Center. Obviously, those are not at play right now, but pre-pandemic, they brought in a ton of business for us. So we have a lot of people that come in here that actually honestly have no clue what we do. They look in and what, when you look in, what you see is those bright blue chairs and this wall of booze. Yeah. And that mm -hmm. immediately draws people in. They're like, Ooh, <laughs> what a pretty place to be. Yeah. You know, they see all the postcards on the wall. It's a gorgeous bar. It's absolutely beautiful. And that is such a good element to have where people just see it and want to come in, but then they sit down and this is, this is an interaction that every single one of my staff gets at least once a week, which is 
Uh, what can I get for you? Hey, I'll take a Jack and Coke. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, we do not have Jack Daniels. And then they look at the bar and they're like, wait a they, second. You can see the confusion. They're like, <laughs> that is awesome. You don't have Jack Daniels, but you have 700 plus <laughs> bottles. Of, okay, and then they go, okay, maybe it's just like weird. They don't have it. Maybe they're out of it. So Did then you they go, see the name when you walked in? <laughs> they don't. And then they order something like, you know, Evan Williams. I'll take Evan Williams. Yeah. No, we don't have that. Okay. And then they're like, okay, I'm so confused. They're like, well, you don't have that. I'm like, yeah, I'm so sorry. We're actually a rum bar. And they're like, oh, you're a rum bar. Great. I'll, d- I'll get a captain and coke. <laughs> and then I go, sorry, we don't have that either. <laughs> you know, like I hate to keep shutting you down. Tell you what, if you want a spice drum, here's what I can offer you. If you want whiskey, here's what we have. But there is like this really interesting confusion. And then not honestly, a lot of times what happens if they're sitting at the bar the guests next to them will educate them for me. Oh, that's cool. Like before I that even have a chance because we have so many regulars that have so much ownership here because yeah. they've been coming here so long because we love that. Like the people that come here are as obsessed with this bar as we are. And so I've seen it happen so many times on a busy Friday night. Somebody will come in, have no clue what's going on. They'll be sitting next to two of my regulars. And all of a sudden those three are best friend. And this person is now trying crazy weird rums because this person next to them is like, I promise you're going to love it, you know? And then they're like, Hey, I, I, now I really want to try rum. I was going to just drink a vodka soda. And now I just really want to try rum. And I have a 100% conversion success rate as far as converting people from whatever spirit they came in to drink to actually enjoying rum because so many people just have no clue. They just don't know um, what's going on in the world of rum, what rum actually is, you know, they're so used to being force fed like Malibu and Kraken and sailor Jerry's and all of those things that it's really nice to pour something really lovely for them that they actually can enjoy. And that surprises them. So that's, that's a big part of um, my job. And then the other big part of it is how we talk to guests about rum and how we interact with the people that are coming here and having to kind of like internalize and know what that guest wants and the kind of experience that they want. Because after a certain time, this bar does kind of become a bit of a party spot. Mm. It's not necessarily a rum bar anymore. It's a Mm. bar with really fun, pretty drinks and late night food with big booths and room for larger groups. So it becomes more of like a space to party, a place to have like take pictures of your drink, to have a drink with a flower on it, you know, whatever it's, that's what it becomes. And so we have to be able to, go from one table that is, you know, wanting to work on their rum map and want suggestions like three, you know, rums in the $10 range from Jamaica and then go over here and, and be like, sure, I absolutely can get you two shots of Jameson, a lemon drop of vodka soda and a gin and tonic. Totally. You know, and you, you have to be That'd able be to tough. like, it is really hard. And, you know, I tell my staff when I hire them, when I interview people, I say, This bar has multiple personalities that all exist at the same time. Mm. It doesn't jump in and out of them. It literally is between different tables. And then sometimes you have people that order something that is, you know, like a vodka soda or uh, an old fashioned. And what we do sometimes is we can kind of gauge what they're looking for and say, okay, you want an old fashioned? Well, we do have one on our menu. And they're like, oh, what is that one? And, you know, I'll be like, oh, it's a tropical rum old fashioned, like you can make an old fashioned with rum. It kind of goes back to what we were just Mm -hmm, talking mm -hmm. about, you know, and a lot of people really want to, to try new things and you just kind of have to gauge how far you can push them. Some people don't want to be pushed. Some people don't want to learn. Some people just want to sit there and drink their vodka soda and enjoy the decor and enjoy an empanada. 
Some people come in here not knowing what it is, and then they get excited and they do want to learn. And you have to know how far to push and if to push at all. Yeah. Um, so that's that there's a lot of intuition that goes into this job as well. And I think as bartenders working in niche style bars, everyone has to have that skill. It sounds like bar judo in a way. It's like, you're like, yeah. how can you take what this person says and like, poof, push it this way <laughs> right, yeah. and then like leverage that into, but there was, there's this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so before we move on to our, our final segment, one thing I always like to ask people, especially someone in your position who, you know, constantly having all these new and different rums coming in the door, trying lots of things. Um, we've talked about your love for agricole. I'm, I'm curious if there are any particular styles of rum or, or rum producing regions or sp- maybe even specific distilleries right now that just like have your eye or your attention or that you keep going back to or maybe ones that you're like trying to get more people excited about or find yourself recommending a lot. Um, does anything come to mind when I throw that out there? Mexico. Okay. So. I mean, honestly, like uh, there's some new stuff becoming available in the U.S. from Mexico. Yeah. Yes. Orphan Sharonda is a great example. The Paranubes, I've talked about that like 15 times so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I just picked up a rum from Cañada Distillery down there in uh, outside of Oaxaca. Oh, cool. um, that fam- That's family owned many, many generations in, I want to say like 1907, they switched from Mezcal to rum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm really excited to try that. Obviously, we have both of the, the Oropans. Um, and so I think that that is really cool. That's really exciting. I love supporting family owned distilleries, yeah. et cetera. I'm constantly looking at brands that are are doing really good things, not just in the products that they're making, but you know how they're supporting their own communities, mm-hmm. how they are, um, I don't know, just doing things right, putting money where money should go because there's so much not okay stuff yeah. happening in the world of spirits in general, but rum especially. So yeah, I, I just think it's important that we pay attention to all kinds of aspects when it comes to rum. Yeah. So for me, it's, is it ethical? Is it delicious? Is it affordable? Those are like the questions that I ask myself. Mexico is really fun. Japanese rum. Japanese rum is really, really cool. We actually have the Tita in a cocktail at Inside Passage right now. Oh, nice. And I love, yeah, I love what it does for that cocktail. It makes it so weird. It is so weird. Um, I just just got to try Tita for the first time not too long ago. Um, And like, I was really like pleasantly surprised by it. Um, Yeah. yeah, I I really enjoyed it. It's delicious. We, the cocktail that it's in has a, like a, a yuzu. We do like a yuzu lemongrass. um, Yeah. And lime leaf uh, syrup. And then we do mango, uh, lime, Tita. And then we also throw in a little bit of gin. Uh, and then we put kelp in it as well. Oh, wow. Hmm. Um, so it's like this super savory, really fun, lots of like levels, lots of elements happening. It's is it like tasty. local kelp? Uh, it, <laughs> it is local. I mean, that's kind nice. of why we put it in the cocktail. We have kelp chips on okay. the menu. Yeah. So we fry kelp up. Um, and basically what we do is we dehydrate the kelp and we we grind it into a powder and I mix it into the syrup. Wow. Um and it, it gives it like like salt. It yeah. gives it just like a little bit of an umami flavor, which is really lovely. 
which is really fun too. Cause people come in here and they're like, what's weird. And I'm like, so much stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you are in the right place. Yeah. <laughs> you want weird? I got you. <laughs> I love that you brought up Mexico because we had Francisco Terrazas from Parmi yeah, Base on I saw that. a few months ago. And he really opened, like he, he didn't just, you know, stop at Parmi Base. He really opened our eyes to how much of uh, like how much rum there is in Mexico yeah. um, and got me really excited just about I, it feels like we're going to be seeing a lot more of it, you know, in the US in the coming years, which is is so cool because it's so close to us. Um, and yeah. there's so much there that we don't know about. And it goes back, you know, decades and decades, like like the distillery that you mentioned. And then uh, when Lance from Lone Cana was on, he brought up Japan, uh, which is the other region that you referred to. So um, there's lots of really interesting stuff from places outside the, the the Caribbean, which still has so much great stuff to explore that we never get tired of. But yeah, it's just a fun time to be in Tehran. This is why I say that every single day I'm learning. Yeah. Because every single day there is something new coming into this market. There's something new to learn. I would love to go to, I was in Oaxaca three years ago and I did not know three or four years ago, I did not know that they were making so much rum down there. So all I did was drink mezcal. Yeah. yeah. So now I'm like, let's go back. I want to go explore Mexican rum. Yeah. Like I, there's, there's so much that we don't know. There's so many people making, I mean, Claren is a prime example, mm -hmm. you know, yep. we had no clue and yeah, it's just really exciting to think that there could be all of this really, really great stuff coming into the market that wouldn't be available if it weren't for all of these new pushes for new and fun rums. Yeah. So I'm excited to see it. I'm, I'm excited for all the new stuff. There's so many places that you don't think of that are making really good rum, Thailand, mm -hmm. You know, the Philippines, all kinds. Mm -hmm. There's so many Australia. great places. Australia. Yeah. <laughs> I get asked that all the time. Every time somebody from Australia comes in, they're like, oh, do you have Bundaberg? And I'm like, of course <laughs> I have Bundaberg. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think we've we've covered a lot of what we wanted to cover today. Obviously, Rumba is a place that I think anyone listening to this show should have on their radar as a rum destination to visit. I know it's on my list. Uh, it's been many years since I've been to Seattle, but I've, I've been dying to go back for forever because I actually, from ages seven to nine, lived in Tacoma. So I used to go to Seattle uh, as a little kid a lot and have really good memories of it. So I've got to mm -hmm. make it there. John, I know, has to make it there all the way from down in Miami. Yep. Um, and we also have to go check out Inside Passage now too. And, and actually, when you were describing the 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 Amazombie right before you got on the Zoom call, John and I were looking at their the photos. I was like, oh, "Did you see the Amazombie?" And he was like, "Wait, which one is that?" And he scrolled up and he was like, "Wait, I thought that was just a drink sitting on top of an actual Amazon I really did. box." So yeah. when you were I, talking I about all the details like, oh, that you paid Amazon attention box. to, I, I think I think you <laughs> nailed it. Yep. Um, so before we go, we do have one last segment, a tradition here on the rum or the rum cast. It is a rapid fire segment of questions uh, that is from the brain of John Gullah always. <laughs> and uh, it's optional, but we do like to encourage it. So if you're up for it, I'll let John tell you about that now. Absolutely. Do I seem like the type of person that would say no to that? No. Yeah. Yeah. No, I wouldn't have even asked the it. question. <laughs> I, I, was, I knew you were ready to go with it. I, so the name of the game here is short. Uh, rapid answers as quick as possible. We try to get through as many of these in about 60 seconds as possible. Okay, so, disclaimer, I apologize if I curse. Just, oh, just you, throwing oh, it Don't out worry there. about that shit. It's fine. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> you can say whatever you want on this podcast. Um, Wonderful. 
yeah, my job in all this is just to be the timekeeper. So I've got 60 seconds ready. So whenever y'all are ready, uh, feel free to jump in. Okay. Neat or on the rocks? Neat. Column, pot, or blend? Pot. <laughs> Aged or unaged? Unaged. Molasses or cane juice? Cane. Hmm, that's oh, a tough one. On. Yeah. <laughs> uh, being from Kansas, if you were given a pair of ruby slippers and clicked your heels three times, where do you end up? Oh, gosh. Uh, St. Lucia. All right. Nice. Oh, nice. The name of the country that makes the best rum in the world. <laughs> Martinique? Oh, my gosh. That... I'm so sorry, Barbados. I'm so sorry. Um, does Kiki the octopus have a favorite rum? Uh, yeah, the one that's in her mouth. <laughs> I like it. That's right. The next one, as Richard Seal would say. Uh, <laughs> your social media handle is Jen Aiken Me Crazy. What about the rum industry or who in it makes Jen Aiken crazy? Like crazy in a good way, crazy in a bad way? However uh, way you, you want to take it. Oh, oh uh, uh, I ha- um, uh, in a good way, Sly from Trailer Happiness. Okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. For reasons. I, I hope he doesn't listen to this and hear that. Um, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. That, okay. that, that. In a good way. The best bar you've ever been to not named Rumba? Palomar. All right. Portland. Nice. Best rum to drink while on horseback? <laughs> Ray and Nephew, because it has a really great pour and I can pour it straight out of the bottle into my mouth. There That's we go. All right. Nice. All right. Good. Excellent. Oh, my gosh. We actually, it, it, it didn't come up, but I just wanted to point out that I listened to you on another podcast, and I love that you had a horse growing up named the Thunder Rolls after the Garth Brooks song. Yeah, he still is alive. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. The Thunder mm-hmm. Rolls on. So you know what Thunder that means. Rolls. You need to get on the Thunder Rolls and have some Ray and Nephew <laughs> straight I know. <laughs> I know. I'm like sitting there thinking, and I'm like, oh my gosh. You know what's crazy, too, is uh, I grew up, my dad had tennessee walkers when i was a kid oh wow and tennessee yeah. walkers were is a breed that was specifically developed like they have this gate that was specifically developed so that landowners could ride their fence lines and check their fence lines mm-hmm. and like it would be like a nice gentle like it's not bouncy it's a very or anything specific use case. It's, it's fast and it's smooth and the the whole like thing that they say about tennessee walkers is you're supposed to be able to like drink a cup of tea while riding um, because the ride is so smooth. So, so I'm like, yeah. that, that's the first thing that popped into my head, like riding horseback, Tennessee Walker's tea. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that's, that's not, not what they're asking. Yeah. <laughs> so pro tip for rum drinkers on horseback, get a Tennessee get a Walker. Tennessee Walker. That's yep. so funny because there's go. like a big billboard not too far outside Nashville that is about Tennessee walking horses. And I've always passed it, but I've never really thought about what they are. Yeah, that's that's how you know. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for taking yeah, the time. You, um, any any final thing, any anything to share with people other than, you know, come come visit Rumba, come visit Inside Passage. And if you can't do that, support your local bar serving rum or not serving yeah. rum. Yeah, support your local bar serving rum. Uh, ask your local liquor stores to, to bring in more. This is a yes. conversation I have all the time. Constantly harass your liquor stores about bringing stuff in if they can. The more people that ask, the more likely it is that you know, places will start bringing them in and like liquor store owners, managers, buyers, they're a lot like bartenders. They do a lot of recommending shelf talkers are really important. And, you know, it's all about education. You know, if I could travel the world talking about rum and how to talk to people about rum, I would, but I, you know, I just want to make sure that people are educating 
in the ways that make people want to drink rum and want to love it because it's so lovable. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to that, that rumba is out there in the world. Like the way you were describing it, it almost made it seem like, like a, um, uh, what do you like an embassy for rum sort of. <laughs> so mm. I like yeah. that. I would like it to be that, you know, and honestly, like I am obsessed with rumba. I absolutely love it. Uh, and I want the world to experience all of the beauty that she has to offer. That sounds so cheesy, but it's really true. Like it's a special place. It's a really special place. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Rumcast with us. Thank you to Jen Aiken from Rumba for joining us for the show. And if you want to find out more about Rumba, if you want to take a look at that 20-page rum list that we talked about during the show, you can go to rumbaonpike.com is the name of the website. We'll put a link up to that in the show notes. So go there, check it out. We'll put a link up to Inside Passage as well. So you can go to their website and get a look at some of those insane drinking vessels that Jen, uh, you know, made some of those herself so i'd recommend going and checking out some of those also uh john where can they find us on social media well you can always find us at instagram the rumcast or on facebook same the rumcast and we are trying to continue to put content on there we put some recent pictures of the uh rumcast homes key fiji uh single origin blend from some people that have been making some really really interesting drinks with it that's right Uh, and so we will continue to do that and uh show you what what we think people are experimenting with so follow us on instagram or on facebook at the rumcast and uh, you can see some of that stuff and we'll be happy to comment and speak with you there as well so uh yeah definitely uh look for us there and uh if you haven't already done so we would love it if you leave us a rating on apple podcasts or spotify or anywhere you get your podcasts that's right Uh, we we love the five stars but we want you to be as honest as possible with our content (laughs) and let us know uh what you like so uh and speaking of also why we're mentioning that we've now talked to martin kate from smugglers cove we've talked to jen aiken from rumba right where are some of the other rum bars from around the world that we should talk to. So let us know. Give us a clue of who who you think is is next on the list or or one of the the greats that we need to talk to uh, from some of these great rum bars across the world. Going on a little tour here. That's right. All right. Well, until next time, I'll talk to you then. <laughs>